Hello and welcome. UVA Speaks is a podcast of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, friends, and families. My name is Susan Lynch, and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Jess Rea, an Assistant Professor of Data Science in the School of Data Science at the University of Virginia. Professor Rea is interested in the untold stories in our data sets and how to meaningfully include communities rarely heard in data policy decision-making processes. They work primarily on topics of data justice, urban governance, and technology policy transnationally. For the past decade, their research and advocacy agenda has focused on fostering dialogues between academia, government, and civil society in three countries, Brazil, Canada, and the United States. In this podcast, Professor Rea will talk with us about smart cities. So thank you, Professor, for speaking with me today. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you. So first, can you define what is a smart city? Yes, uh, and that's a really tricky question because we do not have a single definition for smart cities. What we're trying to frame is the relationship between urban spaces and technology. And often we think this is really new, like shiny new devices and internet and data, but we can think about technology in cities way back centuries or even millennia. If we think about the electrification that allowed us to uh, be outside after dark in a more consistent way and then have electronic appliances in our domestics and public spaces as well. We can think about like the use of TVs in public spaces to announce the bus or ads. So this incorporation of technology in urban space has been happening for a long time. Uh, we can think about media in urban spaces as well. The uh, use of newspapers in our daily communities many decades ago and how now we are just like looking at our phones all the time as well. So thinking about how this technological change and advancements, they have been part of our city life for a while. And there were different concepts to address these relationships. In the 80s, we we talked about informational cities. We had UB comps, media cities, communicative cities, autonomous cities more recently, and smart cities as well. So just to say there are different ways to try to frame this relationship. And smart cities was, and actually smarter cities was uh, like a term coined and branded by IBM in 2011. So it came from the private sector and lately was widely adopted by industry, governments, academia, and civil society organizations as well. And we see it everywhere. And sometimes we think it faded away, but then it's back. So we still are talking about mainly what we call datafication. That means the use of data, the datafication of everything. You probably heard about that before and how data is everywhere these days, artificial intelligence, especially right now. So we all hear those words here and there uh, in our everyday lives. So it's like part of the public debate right now. So thinking about smart cities specifically, we are probably talking about the use of large volumes of data, connected devices like sensors, trying to understand the patterns in our cities, 
what's happening, also trying to predict behavior and natural disasters, for example, and also trying to make decisions quickly. Because sometimes like decision makers, they have to act quickly and having this data available in real time makes a huge difference, especially in really large cities. So we also think usually at the city is this like messy space, a little bit disorganized, lots of issues, conflicts emerging at the same time and having like technology as a way to rationalize, organize, make it more efficient is really appealing. Hence the, the uh, widely adoption of this smart city agenda as I like to call because it, it's a technical agenda, but also policy agenda. It's being sold to cities um, and really sells this idea of making our urban environment more efficient, more like, futuristic sometimes. Uh, and it kind of like, draws from this imaginary of like a city of the future is like a technological city. Great. Thank you for, for that context. That really helps. And can you describe smart cities then in the international context? Yes, that's a good question. Because uh, it matters for most countries these days. But uh, indeed, as I said, it appeared as a, an industry definition over a decade ago but it's everywhere these days. And even if we think about what we call this multi-stakeholder forums, you know, when you hear about the United Nations discussing issues, making decisions, writing documents. Uh, so we have this very important document that's called the New Urban Agenda that was signed at Habitat 3, a United Nations conference in Quito, Ecuador in 2016. And this document is important because it will define and offer guidelines, like offer guidance to all countries in how to plan our cities for the next 20 years. So like we're envisioning the future of your cities for the next two decades or so. So it's very important, it takes many years, lots of preparatory uh, meetings, documents, policy issues to reach like what are the, the most urgent issues that we have right now to deal with. And um, the first one was signed in Vancouver in 1976. And after that, Istanbul, 20 years later, 1996. And so this last one for the first time in Quito, we were discussing the right to the city. That's like an older concept over six years. That's basically saying that uh, we need inclusively accessibility and democracy in urban spaces. Like what does it take to make our cities uh, accessible for everyone? Uh, what are like the rights that we need, fundamental rights that we need to, to foster? And so this new urban agenda brought into the conversation this right to the city for the first time, but also for the first time we had uh, smart cities included in one of the many articles of the document it's the 66 if i'm not mistaken and, and it, this is like highly criticized by academics and civil society organizations for bringing such an industry focused concept into a document that's supposed to be there guiding us for 20 years and unfortunately it doesn't mention other issues related to technology like privacy or data protection and so like there's a lot of work to be done that like it's there just to say it's part of this internationalization process 
and many of the companies providing smart cities services, they are transnational, meaning that they operate in different countries, different territories. Um, we have this big expos and forums. If, if you follow the topic, probably heard about the Smart City Expo in Barcelona that just happened now in November, and also awards cities with like the smartest city awards and i'll get to that in a minute and we also have all this uh, international organizations like the itu the international telecommunications union discussing standards to measure smart cities in cities and we have rankings of the most smart cities in the world and of course no city wants to be known as the opposite of a smart city so it's really appealing for local governments to say like we are the smartest cities in the united states or in brazil or in canada so it's like it creates this race to adopt certain technologies and like get into these forums get into these spaces and i spent years doing uh field work in at this exposing like what's being offered in terms of products and services, what are the companies, the transnational ones, and also participating in this kind of uh, discussions, especially United Nations forums dedicated to either urban spaces or data in the last couple of years. So trying to understand this um, patterns of international negotiations about smart cities and urban space and technologies more broadly. Okay, thank you. Um, so why does this smart city agenda really matter here in the United States? I'd say the United States is highly urbanized. If you think like about the urbanization rate is around 80%. Of course, it varies a lot according to the region of the country, the states. Uh, but let's think that it was 51.2% uh, 100 years ago in 1920. So it's growing. Uh, we have so many people living in cities, and that per se is already a reason like, that we should care about cities and the adoption of technological solutions in urban spaces. It's going to affect a lot of people. That's like my first uh, concern in that. And we also have very specific challenges in terms of public infrastructure in the United States. If you think about transit, mobility, uh, or the lack of public transit in many spaces, as we think about decarbonization and climate change uh, or electrification of our vehicles as well. So we do have like really specific public infrastructure issues going on. Cities are affected by uh, fires, floods, tornadoes. So thinking about all these like external factors that are going to impact cities as well, we need a response that's usually quite quick. It must be really quick. Um, so we can think about those issues as well, reliance on certain kinds of uh, energy sources and how we are rethinking that to the future as well. Uh, another aspect could be that we do have so many US-based companies offering smart city service like it came from IBM. And uh, we have big players in this sector that are offering solutions to other countries around the world, not only the US. And we must start thinking about the like, how we are planning for the next 10, 20, 50 years in the United States in our cities, since we have like so many people residing in those areas and making good 
technological choice because also the resources are finite. Uh, local governments don't have that much money. Mm -hmm. uh, same for sometimes state governments. So how we are going to allocate this resource to purchase technology? Are we going to invest more in the public health realm or in, in transit and mobility or in infrastructure for technology and connectivity? So we have so many choices that must be made in the next couple of years as well. And making the right choice, prioritizing also the needs of the population is very important. And this, I would say, the US um, must prioritize an agenda for like urban development and technology adoption that takes all these things into account. Yes, I think, you know, we've certainly undersourced uh, infrastructure in our country uh, for quite some time. So I, I certainly uh, understand that. Mm -hmm. So what are the benefits and pitfalls of using technology in our cities? And maybe you could give us, you know, as examples of specifically mm -hmm. what those things are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, I would say we can start but like really like the utopian or dystopian ideas of the smart cities, because every now and then we hear about like this country or this company that aims to create and build the, first, the smartest city on earth from scratch. And we do have like another example right now in Saudi Arabia. So there's imaginaries of uh, like what the smart city of the future should be. And should we, this dilemma, should we just kind of like change our current cities into smarter cities or is it worth building something from scratch and saying like this is like a smart city space and there are like countless examples about these efforts especially the ones like trying to build something from scratch like is it possible to have something that's energy efficient inclusive accessible and like super green and clean for the future and sometimes often the answer is like not yet we're not there yet um so i keep mapping these efforts to see like this is like one part of the conversation like for the things that we are heavy already have here i would say like some benefits we can think about the electrification now like low emissions electrical vehicles how many governments are investing in that and offering like sub, uh like incentives so people would um buy electric cars instead of like the, the fossil fuel ones. That's like a trend in many different countries right now, but it's not like enough, like going deeper into these issues. We can think about like efficiency as well, even though this word is really tricky, can mean different things, but like, of course we want our cities to be more efficient. If you ever live in uh, big cities, you know how messy and chaotic it can be how difficult it is to manage millions of people inhabiting the same place. So of course it can help us. Uh, the use of sensors and predictability tools like to try to predict when floods are going to happen, if that area is like prone to floods or other natural disasters that could be like a good use. And we have good examples in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, for example, where I live that we did have a good plan for a while from the uh, operation center and trying to contain, like predict, contain and deal with floods in the city. And another thing that is really beneficial, of course, having data available is good for evidence-based policymaking. If we know the city, if we know the city in real time, if we have more information available 
to us as like policymakers, decision makers, academics, uh, it's good because then we allegedly we could make better decisions based on whatever is available in front of us. Um, but then there's like the other side of this as well. And there are like so many scholars dedicating their scholarship, trying to understand, okay, what are the pitfalls or the challenges or the issues that this kind of technology adoption in cities could cause? And I can say with the, even if like having more data can be seen as like always good. And in data science, we usually like want to have more data available to us. It's important to think about issues that are also everywhere these days, like talking about privacy, data protection, and also data invisibility. Not all communities are visible in the data sets that we have, even like census, official government numbers. Um, the way to measure and count certain people in communities are not necessarily like a reflection of reality. Mm. Um, and if you think about other countries as well, like how reliable um, this data collection process is sometimes. Um, another issue that probably everyone has heard about at some point is like surveillance and control. Concrete examples, facial recognition technology that's kind of everywhere as well. Uh, the cases of false positives and wrongful arrests when the technology says that this specific person um, is like committed something like a crime and in the end it was not that person, it was just like a false positive or mismatching of the databases. And we did have a few cases in the United States. There's like this global movement uh, pushing for a moratorium or even a ban of facial recognition technologies in urban spaces and it, like urging us to think about the consequences of using it in, in the private domain as well. Sometimes I prefer fonts or the banking app, like it's or to enter a stadium, like board planes in the United States as well. I've seen that recently some companies are using the pilot program to like board without a boarding uh, pass, you just use your face. Mm -hmm. um, it's there, it's like everywhere, as I said, like some, if you pay attention, you see, and it's different if it's used by a government or by a company. So we need to be very, very, very careful. Uh, I really suggest like the, whoever is listening to like look into this, there are like so many resources to think about like our privacy, our data protection and our safety in relation to these technologies as well. And if you think about authoritarian governments, because sometimes I think like in democracies, we have like a way to negotiate this, uh, the purchase and deployment of certain technologies. Uh, but have I, li I live it in different places and I see that not always we have this kind of opportunity to participate in governmental decisions. And if you think about the use of these technologies in other like more authoritarian countries that could be really harmful to the population as well from journalists to activists to even academics as well. Um, maybe uh, another example that is based also on huge work that I did in Brazil for many years. We saw companies and especially consultancy firms drafting or like leading um, the governments in drafting municipal laws. So this lawmaking and policy making process that's led by the consultancy firms selling the technology and the products not necessarily will be aligned with the priorities of the residents of the like local communities as well. And as I said, the funds are usually really 
strict or even unavailable. So governments really to make like really tough decisions on like what they prioritize in terms of investments and well-being of their communities. And uh, there's like a lack of civic engagement in general, like uh, how people can participate in the decision making process of this technology adoptions because if it impacts all of us we should have a way of like participating and have a say in that and that it's not always available in different places but uh, or it's just like send us an email or like give us a call and not everyone will be able to do that yeah that's why it's important sometimes before let's say if a city really wants to implement like facial recognition technology in public space it should consult local communities, advocacy organizations, just like what are the potential problems we're going to face here, um, especially uh, in places with lots of inequalities as well. So I would say it's very important to bring people in, like bring the voices that are not heard in this process as much as we can uh, to ensure that like our democratic processes are still in place. Great, thank you. Um, that gives us a lot to think about and to um, ask our uh, government officials about. Um, <laughs> so thank you. You know, and finally, can you describe the connection between smart cities and climate justice? Yes, and this is good timing as we have the United Nations uh, Conference of the Parties starting next week, also known as the Climate Change Conference. That this year. Ironically, it's going to be in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, a country that relies a lot on oil and fossil fuels in general. So it's an interesting time to be discussing this. And if you follow this at the international level, the local level, regional level, uh, you've seen the, the this conversation finally uh, catching up to the discussion of like technology in cities. I've seen over the years, so many like, solutions being offered to governments as more sustainable. And sometimes this concept is really vague. Like what are we talking about when we say something is sustainable? We are reaching a point in which like the, the temperatures are so high, like last week in Rio, where I lived for many years. Uh, the temperatures were extremely high as we never saw before. And then like we have all these accounts of like mm, things are changing actually, like how are we going to respond to this? And so there is this conversation at the international level, but also of course, like governments and civil society organizations, scholars at UVA, we have so many brilliant people thinking about the implications of like technology and climate in the environment. And you're finally thinking about this, like within smart cities and artificial intelligence, big data, what are like the consequences and the connections between these topics, for example. And we do have uh, over 30 mega cities in the world right now, meaning cities with over 10 million people. So this number is growing. And we have cities like Tokyo with over 35 million people in the same space. Uh, or even Sao Paulo, where I also live at over 22 million right now in the metropolitan space. It's like kind of like unimaginable to think, imagine the kinds of challenge that we face already and then we will face in the coming years as well. And I think this, the impacts of these mega cities are important, but also like the small cities, mid-sized cities, like thinking beyond the mega cities, 
because usually I see a lot of focus on like the capital cities, really big ones. Uh, but then like thinking about like the small and mid size that often don't receive as much media attention or investments from governments, like how are they going to like be resourceful and address all these really pressing issues in terms of uh, climate justice as well. And uh, something that I'm really interested these days is to think about the impact of data science and our practice in, in climate justice as well. If we think about all the data centers, the supercomputers being built in Europe and in other places as well, and generative AI, that's like the talk of the moment. How are these um, infrastructures and practice impacting climate? Like one company that's like one of the leading companies in generative AI, in their reports, they mentioned like the, the consumption of water resources increased a lot since they deployed the, the technology. And you know, like data centers require certain temperatures and connect the electricity consumption as well. So this, uh, this advancements, they also have like an impact that sometimes is not really visible or we don't um, necessarily connect the dots. But uh, this is an area that I think like deserves way more attention. And it's something that I want to look into in the near future as well. Great, thank you. So thank you so much, uh, Professor Rea, um, for sharing all of this information about your work and your research. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. And um, as you've mentioned, you know, we, we need to think about our privacy and our security in regard to our data and um, think about our governments and what they're doing with that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I appreciate this context very much. And also I think climate is such a, an important if not the most important issue right now. So thank you for that context. I really appreciate it. So I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise with UVA's alumni, friends, and families. So thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. And thank you all for listening uh, for upcoming podcasts and other lifetime learning programming, recordings, and blogs. Please visit our website at engagement.virginia.edu forward slash learn. You can also find our podcasts on the Virginia Audio Collective, which is a network of UVA podcasts hosted by WTJU Radio and can be found at virginiaaudio.org. So thanks again, and we look forward to you taking part in future lifetime learning programs.